Hear the word of the Lord from Numbers 20, 1 through 13. The entire Israelite community entered the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and they settled in Kadesh. Miriam died and was buried there. There was no water for the community, and they assembled against Moses and Aaron. The people quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the Lord's assembly into the wilderness for us and our livestock to die here? Why have you led us up from Egypt to bring us to this evil place? Is it not, it's not a place of grain, figs, vines, pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the doorway of the tent of meeting, and they fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord spoke to Moses, Take this staff and assemble the community. You and your brother Aaron are to speak to the rock while they watch, and it will yield its water. You will bring out water from them, for them from the rock and provide drink for the community and your livestock. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he had commanded him. Moses and Aaron summoned the assembly in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, we must bring water out of this rock. Must we bring water out of this rock for you? Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with his staff, so that abundant water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust me to demonstrate my holiness in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord, and he demonstrated his holiness to them. May God bless the reading of his word. All right, so we're in Numbers chapter 20. We're working through a series right now. Uh, It's called Moses, the Man of God, and and we're looking at the life of Moses because Moses, the man of God, points us to Jesus, the Son of God. Moses, the man of God, points us to Jesus, the Son of God. And I, I've said this before, but I want you to remember this. This is a quote from the rapper Shy Lin, okay? And he must have been from the South because he said, y'all, okay? Y'all should be mindful of this devout thesis. All of the Bible is about Jesus. So you're reading the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, you're like, huh? What is going on? Listen, listen, you got the answer key already. <laughs> the answer key is in some way, shape, or fashion, this points us to who Christ is and what he has done for us. And what this points to is that God in Christ provides for us despite of and, and in the midst of our sin. God in Christ provides for us, for us despite of and in the midst of of our sin. Father, help us. Help us understand your word. Show us who you are and how we should respond. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so context is context is king, all right? So you're reading the scripture, you're like, what is it talking about? What happened beforehand? That's how we understand what's going on. And so in verse one, it says, the entire Israelite community entered the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and they settled in Kadesh. Miriam died and was buried there. So the context is this. The last sermon, we talked about how because they failed to enter the promised land, because they didn't trust in the Lord, that they had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Now in this passage, the 40 years is almost up. 
right? The 40 years is almost up. They, they endure the consequences of their sin. Miriam died. She's one of the ones that was in the generation that was going to die before they get into the promised land. And there was a new generation that was willing to enter the promised land and hopefully they would do better. That, if you're reading the book, you're like, okay, we got, we got a new generation. They, they probably, they, they saw all their mom and daddy, they died in the wilderness. They saw that there was this disobedience. And so, so that hopefully they had learned their lesson and now they are ready to go and enter the promised land fully trusting in the Lord. Now, did that happen? No. No, spoiler alert. Okay, so let, let, let's dig into what happened. When you see uh, the, the first part of the scripture, we need to understand that we must be careful not to repeat the sins of the past. Look at verse 2. There was no water for the community, so they rebelled against Moses and Aaron. The people quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had perished with our brothers before the Lord. Why have you brought the Lord's assembly into this wilderness for us and our livestock to die here? Why have you led us up from Egypt to bring us to this evil place? We don't have any water. Now, if you're familiar with, with the text, this is almost the exact same complaint that their parents had with the Lord. But they, the parents had complained about not having water, and guess what? The Lord had provided water from a rock before. What's so interesting is why in the world would they complain if they had remembered that God showed faithfulness to their parents? They repeated the grumbling of the past generation. Now, if you remember last week's sermon, the reason they couldn't enter the promised land is because of what? Grumbling. <laughs> They are repeating the, and like, it's like, you want to be like, could you not see the outcome? Like, we, like, like didn't, did you just see what happened? Did you, was you there? Was you paying attention? Now, it might be real easy to look at them and feel like, well, y'all are so special. But here, we all have to take an honest assessment. Listen clearly. We must take an honest assessment of the good and the bad outcome of members of our family. Sin has this, this thing, this, this pattern in the text that it repeats itself over generations. That, listen, listen. The, the, the example of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, there was a pattern of lying in each single uh, uh, individual in, that, in that, that line. Abraham lied twice about Sarah. Isaac and Me Rebekah's marriage was characterized by lies. Jacob lied to almost everyone. His name means deceiver. Ten of Jacob's children lied about Joseph's death, faking a funeral and keeping a family secret for more than ten years. We can see this pattern. And listen, no matter what your family history is, there's going to be real good spots and there's going to be spots that aren't so good. And we need to be able to take an honest assessment of that because we have to be on guard against sin that may have been passed down. Now listen, we have different degrees of knowledge about our families. Some of y'all went on genealogy. Some of y'all, I mean, some we don't have a lot of information, but what you do know and what you can observe, and even if you don't, don't know your parents or your grandparents, who, who, what is the pattern of life of those who have been influencers in your life? What has it been? And if you can see a pattern of sin, you should already know that I need to be on guard against this particular sin. 
That, cause you, cause you, can you not see it in the pattern of people's lives that you know? They did the same thing that, and then they did the, but here, here, if we follow the Lord, he is the one who breaks the pattern of generational sin, who sets new trajectories so that families that have, might have been characterized by X, Y, Z sin are characterized by righteousness. You know, one of the things we need to do is, is that we, we need to be on guard against sin. And here's the deal. We need to name the sins that we struggle with. We need to be honest about it. We need to name what, like Hebrews talks about this besetting sin. It's a sin that, you know, you keep, it keeps coming and you, you know, it's tripping you up. It keeps coming and coming and coming. And we need to have an honest examination of our lives. Because here's the deal. If the, if the children of Israel had just, just pause, take, take time, time out. Let's observe what just happened. If they would have took some time to just open their eyes and observe the pattern of their parents' life and observe the pattern of their own heart, they would have said, well, I, I, actually, we should probably be on guard against this grumbling thing. You know, we, we probably have that. We, we, should, we should really work against that particular sin. We need to ask God for help for this particular sin. All right, here's the deal. When we get to verse 6, we learn that we must seek the Lord in times of trouble. Verse 6, then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the doorway of the tent of meeting. They fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Now, they did something right there. They felt the pressures of leadership, yeah? The pressures of leading people who were very frustrating, and they knew where to go with the pressure. And if we're honest, the pressure of life and leadership are heavy. No matter what role you officially have or do not have, we all have realms of leadership that we have to to fulfill. Everyone in here has particular roles and particular responsibilities. Everyone in here has some measure of influence with those around them. And if we're honest, sometimes the roles and responsibilities are incredibly heavy, are they? Sometimes the role of parent is heavy. Yeah? Yeah? So, okay, somebody, say, somebody say something. So, some, you know, like, sometimes the role of, of co-worker or boss is heavy. Sometimes the role of neighbor is heavy, depending on who you live by, okay? Listen, listen, we all have the, this weight that bears on us because of the responsibilities that we have. And we have to ask ourselves, where do we go with those burdens? Where can I find help? Where can I find wisdom? See, see, Moses and Aaron at this point had the right reflex, that they felt the overwhelming pressures of their roles and their responsibilities, and they went to God. And guess what? When they went to God, God showed up. Yeah? God gave them something to do. God gave them some wisdom. He wasn't like, <laughs> No, 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 no. When they said, God, we, this burden has come. I don't know how to do this. They go to the place of the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, and they say, Lord, we need help. And God in his faithfulness comes and provides help. So, so, so we should follow that pattern. Let's, let's go to the Lord and seek wisdom when we feel these burdens of life that just weigh heavy on us. And James 1.5 says, now, if any of you lacks wisdom, I'm one of the anyone, okay? If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, 
who gives it to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. What a sure promise that is. Every week we have situations where we just have this big question mark in our mind. Huh? What, what do I do? No, the scripture says, if you lack wisdom, if you're struggling, if you don't know what to do, that you would seek him. And not only that you should seek him, but he promises to meet you and to give you wisdom. Now, let's look at God's grace. Let's look at God's grace. Verse 7, the Lord spoke to Moses, take the staff and assemble the community. You and your brother Aaron are to speak to the rock while they watch, and it will yield its water. You will bring out water for them from the rock and provide drink for the community and their livestock. Now, here's the deal. Did they ask God real nicely for water? No. (laughs) No, they, they would act like a toddler, right? Take me back to the other place. Turn the car around. Listen, listen, they were not acting in a, in a respectable way. They didn't come to God with no type of humility. They came to God with accusations. And guess what? God did not immediately rebuke them. God had a plan to provide for them even when they asked in a way that was dishonorable to God. Man, you know, perhaps he showed grace to them because they were a new generation. He's like, well, let me not carry my frustrations out on the, on the previous ones that I had with them. But nevertheless, he shows grace. God meets us where we are at. Sometimes we should, we should, should step back and just think about how much grace God has shown us. I done done some foolish stuff. And I'm not talking about before I was saved. Even after I was saved, I done done some foolish stuff. But God still shows grace. So how much grace ought we to show? Especially those who are younger in the faith. Think about it. These are, these are folks who didn't have a lot of experience with God. I mean, they should have learned from, from their, their parents, but they didn't. God shows a lot of grace. I have a friend who's a pastor in New Jersey. He says, listen, a lot of times we're trying to, y'all trying to get people from zero to 60. He's like, I'm trying to go zero to five. Zero to five. Like, listen, listen, people don't mature overnight. It takes a while. And, and so that means that we have to show a posture of grace particularly to those who are young in the faith, because you can find yourself being more impatient than the God who is the God of patience. And you will end up misrepresenting him because you will not meet people where they're at. Now, when you get to the text, he he says to to, to Moses, like, I want you to take that staff and I want you to speak to the rock. I'm going to tell you why that's significant. He wanted them to be reminded of his faithfulness. Now, we know that when Moses came on the scene, he delivered them. That staff was a pretty important instrument, right? When they're fleeing from, from Pharaoh, he lifts up the staff and the water goes, Whoop. but they hadn't seen that before, though. They weren't alive yet. And so he says, look, let me, let me, I want you, I want you to remember. Look at this staff. Do you remember the faithfulness of God? Do you remember that he has always provided, even before you got here, You have served a God who has provided. Look, look to what he has done. You know, I I know that we go through various struggles in life, but, but we have something that we look to every single week that reminds us of what God has done. We look to the bread of communion. We look to the cup of salvation. And every single week we're reminded that Jesus says, no, no, I've taken care of you. 
My body has been broken for you. My blood has been spilled for you for the forgiveness of sins. We can look to that and go, I don't know about last week, but I know that he provides for me and I have something tangible to look at to remember that he will always provide. So, so listen, I, I don't know what happened in, in like the, the, the generational uh, communication. It doesn't, it doesn't seem to me that the previous generation did an awesome job of explaining God's faithfulness. But we must be a people who tell about God's faithfulness in our lives to those who come behind us. Listen, here's a, the funny thing is those stories stick to people. Like, like, my mother-in-law told my wife a story, I don't know how many times, might have been a lot of times, about how God provided for them with food when they didn't have a lot. And how, how there was this, it seemed like there was this miraculous provision. Now, here's the thing. I wasn't there, and I didn't hear the story, but I didn't hear the story many times. Because she was faithful to hand down God's faithfulness to the next generation. And that can serve as an encouragement to the present struggle. All right, so if you're reading the text, Moses and Aaron seem like they're doing all right until we get to verse 10, and then they start wilding, okay? And we need to understand our responses to the sins of others can dishonor God. Look at verse 10. Moses and Aaron summoned the assembly in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring water out of this rock for you? Then Moses raised his hand and he struck the, the, the rock twice with a staff so that abundant water gushed out and the community and the livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me to, to demonstrate my holiness in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this assembly into the land I've given them. So listen, Moses and Aaron responded with anger. Yeah, they, they was feeling some kind of way. Now listen, here's the deal. I think if you read the, the, the story, their anger, their anger is understandable. They're like, we didn't just, we just, listen, y'all, for real. We just, we, just, we just went through this like 40 years ago. They trying to, they like, we've been walking around this place. We're we trying to get to where we need to go. Now listen, listen, listen. They did not want to repeat the mistakes of the past. Their anger was understandable, yet their anger was still sinful. Even though it was understandable, it was still sinful. I don't, I don't know how many times if I'm, I'm talking to someone in, in conflict and they'll say, well, the other person did, 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 That's sure, but your response is still not right. Even if the other person treated you wrongly, your response was also sinful. You cannot, like, like Moses isn't justified by saying, I, you know they were tripping. Yeah, they were tripping. God showed grace and you should have shown grace too. Their tone didn't match the Lord's, right? They're complaining, and what does God say? Just give them some water. And Moses is like, y'all, you rebels. See, they judged them when God wanted to be lenient. It matches the words of Jesus who said that you would love your enemies and pray for those who curse you. Now, I think it's understandable that you would be mad at your enemies, It'd be understandable that you wouldn't want to pray for your enemies, but just because if it's understandable doesn't mean it's right. You see what I'm saying? Just because if it, well, they wrong, sure, they they might have, but your response can dishonor the Lord, even if it's a response that's understandable. Their anger made them respond rashly. 
If you listen carefully, Moses, uh, the Lord told Moses, speak to the rock. What did he do? He hit it. And I don't think he tapped that thing, okay? You know, <laughs> he was feeling some kind of way. All right. He was, he was ah, you know, like frustrated with y'all. Okay. So, so he didn't, he didn't obey. Not only that, if you listen to his language, who bring, who, who did he say is going to bring the water from the rock? Moses and Aaron said, do we, who, they don't got no power to bring no water from a rock. God does. Look, they, they, they are taking credit for something that God is in. Their frustration has made them act and think foolishly. And he said something. He says, you didn't demonstrate my holiness. Now, we got to ask the question, what does it mean to demonstrate the Lord's holiness? It's very similar to the, the prayer when we say, may your name be honored as holy. That's how you demonstrate the Lord's holiness. That, that God, God's name is kept holy when, when the word of God is, is taught and we obey it and we lead holy lives. So what did they do? They didn't represent God well because they didn't represent his tone and they explicitly did not obey. They did not demonstrate his holiness because they treated him with contempt. Their frustration against other people actually was directed to God. And here's the deal. God takes his reputation seriously. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. God takes his reputation so seriously that he would expose sin, especially, listen to this, especially with those in leadership positions. Because he said, like, I don't want you to get it twisted. I'm not okay with that. You will honor my name. You will see an accurate representation of me. And if that person isn't, isn't representing me ac accurately, I'm going to make it known. God demonstrates his holiness. But the thrust of the whole story is God still provided, did he not? Even in the midst of the sin of Aaron and Moses, God still provided. Even though the people grumbled and the leaders were angry, God still provided for his people. You know, we, we, we live in a time where if you, if you pay attention, it seems like, like a lot of pastors are falling these days. It seems like sin is getting exposed left and right and with those in leadership positions. And one of the questions that happens is, how could that happen when he had fruit? Right? How could that happen when his ministry was so blessed? The Lord doesn't bless ministries because of individuals. He blesses ministries because he loves his people. Yeah, and he will use a crooked, jacked-up stick to draw straight lines, not because he loves and, and wants to, to cover that person's sin, but because he loves his people. God produces fruit for the sake of his people because he loves them. So no matter how much fruit someone has in their ministry and in their service, they, can't, they shouldn't think as well because of me. No, no, it's because he loves his people. Now look at the patience of God. There's grumbling, there's anger yet he still gives abundant water. They asked in the wrong way, like an angry toddler, yet God still provides. Now, I told you in the beginning that y'all should be mindful of this devout thesis. All of the Bible is about Jesus. So, so how, how, what, how is this about Christ? In 1 Corinthians, Paul recounts this particular episode. Talking about He's talking about the people. He says, this is 1 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4. It says, they ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. 
that rock was Christ. So, so ha, ha, let's make it more plain. Let's make it more plain. Their grumbling and their anger was directed at God. That, the rock that was struck in frustration is frustration and anger that ultimately pointed to the Lord. Listen, listen, listen. In Psalm 51, David is confessing his sin. You know, the big sin where he killed somebody and committed adultery. And he says something that sounds crazy if you pay attention to the story. Psalm 51, 4 says, Against you, God, you alone have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Time out. Against who? You killed somebody. Against who? He says, even though your sin was expressed horizontally, it actually expressed a posture of your heart vertically. Even though your sin was against somebody else, it expressed in your heart what you feel about me. And so Moses was looking at the the people and he's seeing this rock and he's all mad and he starts hitting it. Listen, listen, the one he is hitting is God. Listen, sin is primarily an expression of our disposition towards God. And like, what, what this is doing is taking away all blame. Because Moses could have been like, well, the people, they, were, they did some bad stuff. No, no, actually, your sin is a disposition of your heart toward God. And so even, even though he sinned, even though he hit the rock, God still shows grace. And listen, God in Christ took our sin in his body through his suffering and death. In other words, when we sin, it's like we're hitting the rock. Who's the rock? First Corinthians says it's Christ. When we sin with our frustration and our anger, when we sin because so-and-so made us do this, that, and the other, when we sin because we are trying to blame somebody else, the rock that we are hitting is Christ himself. Because on the cross, he took the accusations, the consequences, and the blame for our sin. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal, though. Even though it was our sin that put him there, he rose again, and he still gives us the water of salvation. Yeah? Like, you might, you might feel some kind of shame for your sin, but Christ gives you forgiveness. You, you, you might feel like, oh, I'm not worthy because I've done this. No, no, no. Even though you acted in that way, God in Christ gives you the water of life because he loves you, even though your sin is a display of your disposition towards him. That is the heart of the gospel. That even in our sin, even in our frustration, Christ takes it. And he says, I offer you forgiveness. I offer you life. I offer you peace. So what then should we do with this passage? Here's one thing. We live in a very fast-paced society. And we don't take a lot of time to pay attention to what's going on in our hearts. And so, so, so think about it. You got Moses and Aaron, I'm sure they got a heavy weight. They're, they're, they're leading a lot of people. They're tripping. They're not paying attention to what's going on in their own soul. So, so we, need to pay atten- we need to pay attention. What, what, are, what are the repetitive things that we do that are wrong? Pay, pay attention. Slow down. 
Pay attention to your outbursts of negativity. Have you ever had an outburst and then you were like, why did I just do that? Well, sit there for a minute. Bring it to the Lord. What, what is going on in my heart that I, that, that, this is, that I am continually doing this? We should seek guidance and help from fellow believers. Every, every week when we have a staff meeting, I ask this question. The question is this. Before we get into the business, before we get into all the stuff we got to do, I say, how is your soul? What is going on with your soul? And what I mean by that is two things. How is your experience of the Lord? And what are the emotions you have been feeling lately? Pay attention to what's going on in here. And don't use the excuse that you're so busy to not pay. Because listen, listen, if you don't pay attention to your soul, you end up doing stuff like Moses and Aaron. Having these outbursts. Listen, there, there's this, y'all know I'm a church history nerd, okay? Newsflash. There's this guy from, from the 300s in, in modern-day Tur- Turkey. His name is Evagrius Ponticus. Very fancy name. But he wrote a book, and it's the coolest title of a book I've ever heard. The Handbook for Battling Demons. That's the book he wrote, okay? The Handbook for Battling Demons. I don't know what you think is in that book. But, but you're like, who is it? Here's the deal. What he does is he takes common sins like anger or lust. And what he assembles in his handbook are scriptures that address those sins. So that when he is tempted with those particular sins, he has an arsenal from the scriptures to combat it. Y'all thought he was just laying hands on everybody. No, see, his handbook was let me let me get the truth of Scripture that counters the lie of my temptation and let me wield that against this temptation. So listen, listen, here's an example. It's from a book called Live No Lies. Here's an example. You're trying to analyze your soul. You can go, what is the thought or feeling that I'm feeling right now? And he goes, this is an example. I'm worried about losing my job and not being able to make my car payment. All right, that's, that's real, right? All right, and this is, what's the lie beneath a thought, feeling, or sensation? He says, my safety and security in my job and in owning newer, nicer things, and that that would make me happy. So, so, so this, this anxiety, he, this person, this, this hypothetical person is feeling about his job is actually revealing that, there's, that he has a safety and security in his job. And then he goes, well, what's the truth? What's, what is the, the antidote? What, where, where, which part of the handbook does he go to? Hebrews 13, 5, it says, keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. Now, listen, a lot of times when you find yourself preaching about a particular subject, you will be tested in that particular subject. All right. Sometimes it goes well. This week it did, y'all. It did. Yesterday, I found myself just getting so frustrated and annoyed with my children. I, like, they were just, they were talking up in my ear. I was trying to read a book. And I was like, please go to your room. They ain't doing the bad. Like, just, can, you, can you go over there? Can you, please, can you please go over there? And when I laid my head on the bed that night, I was like, I blew it. I, I, was, I was not kind to them. I, you know, I felt the guilt of that. And so, and so I, I was feeling this frustration and anger with my children. And I had to ask myself, well, what, what is the lie? What is the lie I'm tempted to believe? The lie is that my children will get in the way of my peace. 
That's the lie. That my children are obstacles to me. That was the lie. But what is the truth? Psalm 127, it says, Sons are indeed a heritage from the Lord. Offspring, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the sons born in one's youth. Happy is the man whose quiver is full with them. So here's the deal. I was looking at my children as obstacles when the scripture says that they are gifts and rewards from the Lord. So I, that means that it, the next time I feel frustrated, I need to slow down. What am I, why am I feeling this? What lie am I believing? Now listen, are kids annoying sometimes? The answer is yes. But does that justify a wrong response to them? No, it does not. So we have to slow down and ask God to help us pay attention to our own souls. We got to take some ammo from the text and meditate on that so that we can overcome these besetting sins. So when we realize our sins, here's the other thing. I could lay, I could lay on my bed and I could feel really, really bad, which I did. But when I ask God for forgiveness, I'm not, I'm not questioning if he does forgive me or not, Right? We have an advocate of the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Listen, he forgives. So, so when we realize our sins, let's run to the rock who is Christ to receive forgiveness and to receive healing. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that, that, that in 2 Timothy it says, it says the, all of Scripture, it is God-breathed and it is profitable Every aspect, every portion of the Bible is profitable for us. It equips us. It teaches us about who you are. It teaches us about who we are. And Lord, I pray that you would convict us of our sin, not so that we could go around feeling sorry and bad, but so that we could confess quickly, that we could receive forgiveness, and that we could be conformed to the image of Christ Jesus. Lord, would you, would you give us grace to slow down enough that we are not ruled by the passions of this life, that we're not ruled by the situ, even situations that are bad. Give us grace to slow down so that we are ruled more by your word than by whatever is going on around us. We can't do this in our own power, but with your power we can. So we pray to you, with trust and faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.